I realized I was also doing the same thing with my children at that point of trying to do everything for everybody so it would get done correctly, but I wasn't empowering them to do those things for themselves. I basically made a business plan for home life of stepping back and going very big picture of what are my personal life and family goals and business plan? Where are we trying to get to as a family? What do I want my kids to have in their toolkit at the time when they leave home? Because while we make a business plan for business, I found a lot of parents may not necessarily have the time or have thought to really delve into what are my goals in parenting? What does success in parenting look like? And then how do I get there? I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Katie Wells. And Katie and I met back in September at the biohacking conference, and we instantly hit it off. And I was like, you know what? I definitely want to get you on the podcast because we're going to have so much to talk about. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Katie, Katie is the voice of the highly popular podcast and brand Wellness Mama. Katie's also a mom of six, and she has an incredible story and is very knowledgeable on all things health and wellness. And I'm so excited to chat with Katie today, and I think y'all are really going to get a lot out of this conversation. So help me in welcoming Katie Wells to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for us to chat today. There's so many parts of your story that inspire me. I mean, between being a parent of six kids, how you delegate responsibilities and accountabilities to kids that are so young, your own wellness journey. But I think the the most inspirational thing to me is how you're somebody that you have a community of like, I think it's like over like 700,000 people that get your your emails, you have a podcast that's thriving, you've written over 1,500 blog posts, but there was a point where you were ready to throw it all away and just say, you know what, I'm done. And that was like a big key in your transformation. So what was going on at that point of your life and what were the steps that you took to kind of get out of that rut and kind of move towards who you are today? Yeah, great question. It's definitely been a long journey on that front and many, many lessons along the way. The the short version being I got into this the world of health because of my own health struggles and trying to figure them out. My background was in research before that. And then after having my first son, I started having all these strange health symptoms. And so with the background in research, my first instinct was to start researching and start to figure out what was wrong. And it sounds silly now to say, but in hindsight, it was like for the first time discovering there was this whole other world of health beyond just the basic like calories. And until that point, I had never considered the quality of food or how food chemically impacts our body. So it was always just like, oh, you just eat less or more to gain weight or lose weight. And that was kind of the extent of my knowledge. And as I started unpacking that whole world, I realized that a lot of people were experiencing similar things to what I was experiencing or had kids who had different symptoms. And so I started just chronicling that my own journey of that. And that was what eventually became Wellness Mama. But over the course of the next decade, I had then six kids and was growing this business at the same time. And at one point hit just complete burnout and exhaustion 
and realized I couldn't keep all those plates in the air anymore. And I wasn't willing to let my kids suffer. So obviously the business was the side that had to go. And I came very close to just walking away and deleting the entire online side of it. But then I had this moment of clarity and realized, wait a second, I'm not stressed about the business side. That side actually is great and it runs well and it has systems. Why does this feel so overwhelming? And so that piece for me, I realized when we start a business, we have a business plan and we have SOPs and we have goals and OKRs and all those things. But yet in often in family life, a lot of us don't have those same systems in place. And so this, what is often the most important and should be the most important piece in our lives, it felt like I was kind of just flying by the seat of my pants and I was reacting to and just managing versus being intentional about it. So at that point, I kind of stepped backwards and reverse engineered home life to mimic more of a business, not in the interpersonal interactions at all, but in creating systems, empowering my kids, thinking of them as like members of the team, empowering them to take ownership of aspects of their lives. So I wasn't doing everything for all eight people in our household all the time. And that slowly grew over the next couple of years until both the home side and the business side were much less stressful. But I think also maybe what you were asking as a deeper level of that is, so I had this online wellness business and I had had, I finally got answers eight years into researching that I had Hashimoto's and still, despite all access to all the things in the health world and everything I was doing, and I'm a systems person, so I was running spreadsheets. I had my genes. I had supplements down to spreadsheets and timing and had talked to all the best doctors and nothing was working. And so I had all these conflicting emotions of, I run this health platform that is helping millions of people. And I hear from all these people, these amazing changes that are happening in their lives. Why can't I figure myself out? Like, why am I still struggling with health struggles? Why can't I lose weight after having kids when all these other people are able to? And that started a whole other realm that I didn't even really anticipate until I started delving into it. I basically was able to, now I can look back and connect the dots much more easily, but I had sexual trauma in high school that I had just basically ignored and thought I was fine. And I didn't realize until I started processing it that in that moment of feeling complete helplessness and terror, I basically made the mental decision, like, I never want to feel like this again. So I will create elaborate systems so that I never feel helpless, so that I'm in control of every aspect of my life because that feels safe. And so it wasn't that I had dealt with it at all. It was that I had walled off entire parts of myself in that sense to keep myself feeling safe, which I think a lot of us do in different areas. We build these constructs mentally to protect ourselves. And that's great that our psyche is able to do that. But when you ignore that for a decade, it tends to express physically. And I started delving into things like the body keeps the score. There's a great book about that, how trauma can actually physically express in the body. And so I had done literally everything physically possible to try to address the health struggles. And then the irony was when I started delving into the emotional and mental side of that, all the physical stuff eventually ended up resolving itself. And I lost now right at a hundred pounds without changing anything else physically. And that's the part I like reiterate to people. I did not, I actually eat more food now than I used to eat. I eat much less restrictive than I used to eat. And I no longer have Hashimoto's. My labs are completely normal and the weight just fell off. But it wasn't until I addressed that piece I had been scared of for so long that that started to happen. So both in the physical realm of health and very much also in the emotional mental space, it's that experimentation process, our own end of one, figuring out what's going to work. But I do think there are some generalities in both worlds. Like it's easy to say, okay, in the physical health realm, 
biologically, nobody needs to eat vegetable oil. Nobody needs to eat refined processed food. Like those are easy generalities. But beyond that, like you might have methylation things, you might have very specific genes in one area or another. Like you got to experiment beyond the the very basics. And it's the same here as well. When I decided to finally address this, actually the pivot point that made me brave enough to face it, I was standing in my bathroom and I saw my almost at the time a teenage daughter we were having a conversation and I saw in her eyes the look register when she saw me look at myself in the mirror and she saw like the disgust I had for myself. And I realized I don't want to pass on this prison of the mind to my daughters. It's And so whatever it takes, I'm, I'm finally willing to face it. But that just was the beginning of a long journey of figuring out what that meant. And I did traditional talk therapy for a long time, which I never found that helpful just because of all those elaborate safety constructs I had created, I knew how to play that game. And so I remember even being in therapy and being like, oh, okay, now we're going to talk to my inner child. I know what we're supposed to say here so that I can be safe and talk about this, but not really have to face it. And so beyond that, I went through all kinds of different, I, I discovered there had to be a somatic aspect. And this seems relatively common among trauma survivors is because if there was a trauma that was physical and affected the body, we kind of tend to think, oh, I can just talk through it or do the mental work and then the body will be okay. But there is a somatic connection there. So often you have to also then free and use the body to help process the emotions as well, which is kind of that premise of works like the body keeps the score. And so I was doing different kinds of like physical trauma release therapies on the body. And it was not a completely reliable thing. It wasn't like every single time I try something like this, it has this exact impact. It was that like there would be times when it would release a whole flood of emotions. And then I would be able to process those for a while. But I tried a lot of different kinds of body work. I did hypnosis. I did rage therapy. I did tapping. I like basically all these physical ones that helped me reintegrate with my body. And that was a process of over a couple of years that kind of, I feel like layers just fell off. I really like how you brought up the point that it has to be very individualistic when it comes to any type of your health, whether it's dealing with your spiritual health, your physical health, your emotional health, your mental health, because there is no one size or shape that fits all, right? And I think oftentimes we go after what people are doing on social media. We go after what we do or what one of our friends says or a neighbor, what we see on the front page of a newspaper or magazine, and it ends up not working for us because that's not what's meant for us. But I think in order to figure out what works for you, you do have to try a bunch of different things and see like what actually resonates with you at the core. And you talked about this moment where your daughter was looking at you in the mirror and you could kind of tell that she was looking at you in a different way. Other than not being able to lose the physical weight you wanted to, was there any other signs besides her looking at you that made you realize you really had to address this because it was impacting you in a negative way in your, in your life currently? Absolutely. And for anyone who has experienced Hashimoto's or an autoimmune disease, I had extremely debilitating fatigue for a lot of those years. And so I remember having at different times, like three toddlers, and I would be so just completely fatigued that I would put them in one of their rooms to play. And then I would lay in front of the door and sleep so they couldn't get out and run in traffic. Like that was how tired I was. And then I would like crawl to the kitchen to make dinner eventually. But I realized when that moment in the mirror, I realized she had never considered to not love herself or to not love her body or to think there was anything wrong with her body. And it was like that realization for the first time seeing it in me. And I, and I know like kids pay attention to what we say, but 
they mimic what we do. And I realized I don't want to create that pattern in her because for anyone who's ever been in that space, in hindsight, when it went away, I was probably spending at least half of my mental energy every day feeling all those layers of guilt and shame and fear and like disgust of my own body. But because of the safety constructs, like I said, in the health world, you can't out eat or you can't out supplement a bad diet. You can't out exercise a bad diet. You also can't out any of those things uh, and that emotional space because when you're in that when you don't feel safe in your own body and you're not able to shift into parasympathetic your body is not in a space where it's able to lose weight because it thinks you're running from a tiger and so I had to be able to address that before my body physically could have even started to release that to begin with. Right. And this is very common, especially with people now. I mean, I was just having a conversation with somebody about this not too long ago where there's everyone's trying to look for the next best nutrition hack or gut health this or take this to biohack your way into losing weight or optimizing your energy or whatever. But it's like a sinking ship sometimes. When it's like a never ending sinking ship when you're constantly chasing after that part, but you're not addressing the mental and emotional part, which neurologically, biologically, physiologically is impeding your results on the physical side. But I think it can be really challenging for people to understand that this is what's going on. So for you, what were some of those signs and symptoms that no matter what you tried physically, you still weren't making any progress? And then what were some of the changes besides doing some of the trauma work that you made on an emotional mental level that really expedited your weight loss? Yeah, it's interesting. So I wish I could stress enough how I didn't have to do anything else physically once I was able to let go of that. And it's an easy thing to say, and it's a hard thing to understand until you have been through the process. But even I noticed like the languaging around it. I started paying attention to my inner voice and the questions that I was asking myself or the statements I was saying to myself. And I'm a big believer that we are in a lot of ways, the sum of the statements we make to ourselves, the questions we ask ourselves. And as parents, I think to some degree, our voice toward our children becomes part of their inner voice. And so I I started to become aware of that for the first time. And even things like the languaging of like losing weight. Women talk a lot about losing weight and they go into the cycle of like deprivation and thinking food is bad and restriction. But psychologically, we don't want to lose anything and we're not losing it. It's not like we forgot it and it's somewhere in our house. And so I started realizing the questions I was asking internally were, well, why can't I lose weight? Why is this so hard? What's wrong with me? Why am I... And I realized, well, whatever questions we give to our subconscious, it will answer. And so I was putting all this mental energy toward, why can't I lose weight? And my subconscious was giving me the answers of, well, obviously, because you've had six kids and you have Hashimoto's and you have all these things going on. And so I started experimenting with, what if I asked better questions internally? What if I start just being cognizant and changing the only thing I truly have control over, which is my own thoughts and emotions and reactions, and just being aware of that? And so I started asking questions like, how can it be so much fun to get healthier? How do I love my body so much? And what I realized was you can't shame or deprive your body into being what you want. And for me, it was when I got to a space of love and acceptance of myself, my physical body caught up to what was the mental version of myself that I had changed in my head. And I had one of the people I worked with who did body work. He has a great quote, never waste a trigger. And so whenever something would trigger me or emotions would come up, instead of what would have been my past reaction of shutting those down or like just powering through, I would learn to sit with them for a minute and delve into like, well, where is this coming from? What is it trying to teach me? And it became this inner process over a span of months of being willing to feel those things and then even 
thank them and be able to say, oh, thank you for keeping me safe for all these years. Thank you for helping me survive this thing that was really, really hard. And those little habits over time led to this drastic change where now I can look back and say, while I would not have chosen it, and I hope that nothing like that ever happens to my children, I am extremely grateful for being raped because I would never have gotten in touch with these parts of myself in the same way had that experience not happened. And I think other things that were impactful for me were the ideas of, I read a book called Letting Go, and it was the idea of like being able to feel and then let go of emotions. It's often the ones that we hold on to. There's kind of that metaphor there, like we're holding on to them. Our body also holds on to weight or holds on to health problems because some aspect of our subconscious is being served by those things. Like mm. our psyche doesn't do things to harm us. So if these reactions are happening, our, it's serving our purpose for somewhere in our subconscious. And so it's discovering that and being able to say, thank you for doing that for me for all those years. I don't need you to do that anymore. That and then taking full ownership of everything that happens to me and my reactions to it, realizing at the end of the day, I was looking to everybody else for answers. And I wanted to find that silver bullet or I had that victim mentality and shifting into a mental space of taking full ownership for everything that happens in my life, even the things that I didn't choose or that happened in that instance, I would look back, happened to me. Taking ownership of those things, let me have power over them, let go of the bad parts of them, but keep the lessons. And I think especially for entrepreneurs or anybody who is very driven, one of the toughest, the two toughest layers of that were the final ones to let go of for me. Even once I had started to face the trauma, I had this fear that if I work through this, I'm going to lose my edge because this thing has been compulsively driving me for 10 years because I didn't feel safe. And if I let go of it, then am I going to still be able to do all these things without that compulsion? And so that was a really tough layer to let go of. And then I realized in working through it, we don't ever lose our edge. We just get to choose when we use the sword. And so you still get to keep all the benefits and the upside, but you also get to put the sword down sometimes and rest, which is also really important. And then I had a layer of feeling guilty for feeling okay when things started feeling better, because I realized so many people have been through this. It was almost like a survivor's guilt. Like it's, I felt guilty. Like it's not okay to be okay after something like that happens to you. And so like those final two layers, I feel like were the ones that when I finally unpacked those, I got to move into a space of kind of inner freedom finally. Right. Wow. That's such great advice. There was so much there that I think a lot of people are going to relate to no matter what type of trauma they, they went through. And a lot of the stuff that you said you had to overcome is what I think prevents people from moving forward in their life to begin with when it comes to these things. And I think the hardest one, at least from what I have heard from different people that I talk to, is the acceptance part, like accepting that something in your past happened for you and it's part of your journey. Because I feel like people want to hold on to it, but people don't realize that when they can use that and know that it was part of the process, that it's able to give that dark moment in your life. And I can't imagine how dark some of these moments are, but some sort of meaning instead of it just being there because we can't go back and change the past. We can only change how we respond to it and how we learn to deal with it in our own lives so that we can experience happiness long-term. So what was that process of acceptance like for you? Did a light bulb just go off like when you were doing some body work sessions or you were, when you were reading a book and saying, oh my gosh, like I need to shift my mindset now. Was it a longer process? Like how did that play out for you? Yeah, there was definitely a pivotal moment. I feel like it's also a shift in realizing that it's a a letting go versus a power through. I think a lot of us, it, we can get caught in that cycle of like, oh, I really need to 
whether it be like, I really need to eat this certain way so that I can conform my body to this thing, or I really need to let go of this so that then I can be happy. It was realizing internally, like, what if it didn't have to be that hard? And I had this script of, well, when I lose weight, then I will be happy. And when this happens, then I will be happy. And I had this pivot moment of realizing, actually, I I can just choose happiness right now. I don't have to wait until all those things happen. I can just love myself right now. Because if, if I was my child and my child's body looked like this, I wouldn't care at all. I would love them exactly how they were no matter what. And so how do I shift into a space of having that same acceptance for myself? Because the only way I can give that to my children is to learn that process myself. I did have one moment in body work early on when I still thought I was like, well, I am, I just power through emotions. I don't have emotions that started to unpack that. And when I say I don't have emotions, I mean, I got through 10 years of motherhood without ever yelling at my children. Like I did not raise my voice. I did not cry. Like I was emotionally completely shut down and I was actually doing a podcast with a guy and he does this mixture of body work and rolfing and acro yoga. And he was like, before a podcast, I do this with all my guests. And he's like, I'm going to do this for you. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I don't, I don't go upside down. I don't leave the ground. Like I am in control at all times. And he's like, you're fine. And so he picks me up and I'm literally a foot off the ground. This is a logically not dangerous scenario at all, except for it put me face to face with, I wasn't in control. I wasn't on the ground. I felt helpless. Someone was holding me. So they knew exactly how much I weighed. And I went into full panic mode and like had without any drugs whatsoever, almost an entire psychedelic experience and like graphically relived that trauma. Like in the moment in layers, it just like came back as if I was there. And because of that and because of the body work and the ability to like feel my body in that moment, those layers just started to release. And when he put me down, I shook for two hours. We ended up having to push the podcast back because it was like when an animal's almost killed in the jungle and then they process it. And then when they're safe, they shake to let all the adrenaline out. I had never done that in the moment. And so then when I relived it, I shook for hours and all those layers of emotions just came out and actually got to express through my body. And that day I was shocked. The next day I had lost eight pounds, which is not physically possible according to the laws of normal nutrition and calories in, calories out. And then that was kind of the pivot point where the weight just started like falling off. And it made me realize animals have near-death experiences all the time. They get they are in traumatic situations. They have other animals attack their bodies and they're not walking around with PTSD. They somehow like they have a process to do this. And how is that happening? It's partially because they're processing through their bodies. But we as humans, because of our minds, have the ability to try to logic through it or shut down those emotions or lock it in. And so we're able to consciously control the body reactions. And so it's that reintegration of the mind, body, spirit, and actually letting all those pieces work together. And that was when I started being able to feel finally very slowly that love and acceptance for myself. Wow. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, 
gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. If you ask those that know me best, what has been an ongoing struggle of mine, it's definitely been my sleep. I am sure many of you can relate to this. One small change I recently made is that I started taking Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers, which is the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. I've taken lots of magnesium supplements throughout the last decade, and this one is rare and that it actually makes me feel relaxed when I take it. Listen, if you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, one of the best things you can possibly do is start getting enough magnesium. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement that you find. Most magnesium supplements use only the two cheapest synthetic forms. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed by how much better you sleep and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug10 to save 10% when you try Magnesium Breakthrough. So go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug now to get your exclusive 10% discount. Now back to the show. Yeah, that, I mean, I can just tell from you describing it, uh, with like your energy and how passionate you are about that moment, that that was definitely like a situation that shifted things for you. And I felt like, well, there's a lot of people that, that struggle with this art of letting go and wanting to be in control and, and, and wanting to control the things that they can't control and, and making sure that life is certain for them all the time. But I think when you're forced to really let go, like you were, like you had no other choice than to let go of the emotional burden that was on you, the mental burden, all the trauma, the pain that you've been carrying with you for so long and using it as a mechanism to motivate you to, in a way, like overwork at times and burn yourself out and run yourself to the ground, which we're going to get into in a second when we talk about like productivity, that it ended up becoming like a huge blessing. Like in that moment, you were like, oh crap, like what is going on? Like I'm sure like this full out panic attack, like you said, but then it became this massive gift in the end that you were able to let go of a lot of weight that you, you had been holding on to for so long. And I want to put a bow on our conversation here about the connection between like the nervous system and weight loss. So like, how does somebody know if their nervous system is like getting in the way of their weight loss? Like, how, like what are some signs? I mean, for people who are metric oriented, you can do things like track your HRV, which is connected to your nervous system activity. If you have really low HRV, if your body's in a stressful state, your heart becomes somewhat like a metronome and it's just extremely balanced and normal. And you actually want, this is one thing you actually want high numbers on. You want a lot of variability between the beats of your heart, especially at night, because that signals that your body's able to shift into parasympathetic. In hindsight, I think my body probably did not at all shift out of the sympathetic nervous system state for at least a decade. And, but HRV is one tangible tool, but also like if you're doing things like trying all the extreme weight loss measures and they're not working at all, that can be a good signal that your body doesn't feel safe. And so you're in a, a sympathetic nervous system state. And the short version of the biology of that is when you're in sympathetic, your body is concerned with survival. And so it's not concerned with 
digesting, resting, all of the processes we need to have happen to live optimally physically. Whereas in parasympathetic, that's when you're able to rest and digest and sleep. So if you're tracking your sleep or tracking your HRV or even just trying to lose weight and nothing is working, it can be an indication that something is definitely going on with the nervous system. One thing that can help with the nervous system side that worked for me as a tangible tool when I would feel overwhelmed or like get stuck in food cravings or I would feel that conscious process of my body going like it's not safe to lose weight and then I would have this compulsion to like try to sabotage that. A therapist taught me this is like tapping your hand on each fist to like making a fist and double tapping each hand back and forth alternating as fast as you can go and she would have me say the words even though I am experiencing whatever it was I love and accept myself and I love and accept myself when I now choose and then whatever you're trying to work toward. And the first time she had me do this, I literally could not say the words, I love and accept myself out loud. Like I could not make those words come out of my mouth. And then the first time I said those words out loud, I bawled after not crying for a really long time. But that, I feel like that's a tangible tool. And it's the tapping on the hands back and forth. That's kind of a nervous system activation. And it helps sort of line up the right brain, left brain hemispheres and just like help you shift into parasympathetic. I also got very intentional with things like breath work, which can be really impactful. Our breath is very connected to our nervous system. So just taking breaks throughout the day to box breathe or four, seven, eight, or any kind of breathing that's going to slow that nervous system activity can be a helpful tool just for starting the physical process of calming your nervous system. And often that will help illuminate some of the emotions. When you get that stillness for a minute, that's when the panic brain will start throwing emotions at you. And then you're able to find them more easily. I love that. I think that's going to be some stuff that people are really going to take in and use for their own journey. Because like we've said a couple of times, like that's a big roadblock for people is when they're doing all the things, they're drinking the water, they, they're eating right, they're exercising, their sleep's good, but they're not losing weight. They're not making these health changes that they think they're going to attain once they begin this health journey. So I'm really glad that we, we covered that. So let's get into another thing that was more practical for you that really helped you transition out of this deep emotional and and mental pain that you were in where you found yourself burnt out and overworking because you are a great mom and you're a mom of six. But I know that you're a systems girl too. Like You had all these systems set up for wellness mama to make it run smoothly and efficient. And you kind of created something similar for your family. And I think people will really identify with this. So if you could talk about that a bit, I think the listeners would really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for context, I've grown Wellness Mama and a couple other businesses while being in the very early stages of having... So I had all six kids in nine years, and that was also the active growth phase for all these businesses. So there was logistically a lot going on. Objectively, there was a lot of stuff to do. But kind of when I reached that burnout point, I realized a lot of the hard learned lessons in business could be really, really helpful to parents as well. Because I think often a lot of our stress comes from the home life and the responsibility of raising a family. And I had been through on the business progression, I went through a couple years of, because of the control freak nature, hiring people and then not letting them do anything because I was afraid they would do it wrong. And I had to work through that on the business side to learn to empower people to have autonomy in the roles that they had and to realize while I might be able to do things quote unquote better, I couldn't do everything 
and do it better. There are people who could do many of these pieces of business much better than I could because that was their focus. And to let them shine and let them be brilliant at the areas they were working on and to be genuinely appreciative of their involvement in the team and maintain that team dynamic, as well as having clear and measurable goals and focus, all the things we do in business and we're taught to do in business. But in home life, at least for any parent, but I think moms especially can fall in this trap, we're trying to manage everything in our head and we have all these open loops constantly of what am I going to cook for dinner, getting kids to all the different places, like doctor's appointments and buying clothes for the kids and just all the little things that add up that go into motherhood. And I realized I was also doing the same thing with my children at that point of trying to do everything for everybody so it would get done correctly, but I wasn't empowering them to do those things for themselves. And so I basically made a business plan, sort of, I kind of use that term, a business plan for home life of stepping back and going very big picture of what are my personal life and family goals and business plan? Like, where are we trying to get to as a family? What do I want my kids to have in their toolkit at the time when they leave home? Because while we make a business plan for business, I found a lot of parents may not necessarily have the time or have thought to really delve into what are my goals in parenting? What does success in parenting look like? And then how do I get there? And so for me, that meant kind of starting with that and we, we um, homeschool as well. I did this process in the education side as well. But what do we want our home life to look like? What do we want our children as adults to be empowered to do should they choose to? What are the skills and values that are most important to pass on to them? And from that, I realized, well, we want them to be autonomous, kind, sufficient human beings who are helping in society. How do we get them there? How do we work backwards from that? And then it became easy and clear to say, oh, well, I need to stop doing anything for them that they can do themselves because then I'm taking away their power and I need to let them be equal members of this team in this business of our house that we're all running together, not like my little like employees that I'm just managing. And so how do we create this cohesive team dynamic within our house? And it was a process of making sure they had the foundational skills to do those things and then stepping back and stopping doing those things once they were capable so that my kids often hear me say, I won't do anything for them that they're capable of doing themselves. That's one of our non-negotiable rules now. And so that means our five-year-old does her own laundry because she's capable of doing it. And very often the kids cook dinner by their own choice because they like to cook what they want to cook and they're great at it now. But everybody had within the home, the foundational skills to do everything they needed to do and also the ownership of those activities. And then I also realized the main point of fatigue for parents is not actually getting any of this stuff done. It's the decision fatigue of all those constant open loops and the endless questions. I think for moms, it's often death by a million questions. And so I stepped back and said, well, how can I solve the variable of this? How do I create a scenario where they have less questions? Well, oh, okay. If things are clearly defined and their systems, then they don't have to ask me what's for lunch or when what they can have for a snack or when we're going somewhere. So creating systems reduces questions and then physically altering the house to be that way as well. So when I had mostly young children, all the cups and dishes they needed to get were in bottom cabinets. Often we put those in up high cabinets, but if little kids need to get them, they have to ask me to get them a cup to get water. If the cups are down low, now they can get water. That eliminates a question. And so it was just solving that variable across the board at home and empowering them. And now it's amazing to see how self-sufficient they are. Ages 15 to five, they're all able to, like, I think even the five-year-old honestly would be fine for three days by herself if she had to be like, they're extremely self-sufficient and they feel empowered because they're able to be. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, that's awesome. And I commend you for that 
And there's probably people that are listening to this that either are parents themselves or going to be parents, or maybe they're not parents and just were kids at some point and wondering, like, how the heck did you do that? Like, I've heard you talk about how you've had your kids, like you were saying, like, do their own laundry or get cups. Or I think, I think I heard you on Sean's podcast talk about, like, he was saying one of the kids, your kids was walking around eating sauerkraut when he was like a toddler. How did you do that? Because parents are struggling now to get their kids to be off tablets. They're struggling to get their kids to eat vegetables. They're struggling to get their kids to just simply move their body. So how did you get them to do something like as mundane, I guess, as it sounds is doing laundry and like taking the trash out at such a young age? Well, I think just like in any realm in business and life in general, leadership is in aligning motivations because often when parents will ask me, how can I make my kids whatever, fill in the blank. I'm like, well, you can't. I mean, try to make a two-year-old do anything. It's not going to work. And you can't even physically make them shower. They need to shower. You can't physically make them do that really without like abusing them technically. So you have to figure out how to align motivations. And a big piece of that is just simply when they're capable of doing something, if they've demonstrated they can do it and I've taught them and I know they have the skills, if they try to say like, I can't do it or I don't want to, I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's your choice, but I won't do it. And then let the natural consequences kick in. And so I set up all these if-then statements of they knew when house certain things around the house had to happen. And then when those things happened, then they were allowed to go play outside or then they could do the activities they wanted to do. And so when they would ask me questions or try to push back on those, I would just direct them to the if-then chart on the wall. I wouldn't answer those questions because they'd already been answered. And there was no, they knew what had to happen. And if they complained, I'd be like, look, I get it too. Sometimes I don't like to do the stuff I have to do that's my job or sometimes I don't want to cook dinner, but this is how it works when we're in a team dynamic and we're building these things together. And even simple stuff like the laundry, it only takes once or twice usually if they need clothes to go somewhere and they have no clean clothes for that natural consequence to kick in. Same thing with food if they're hungry, like that's a great motivator. On the the picky eating side, I think it's also an important key of this on any of these really is understanding and having clarity around division of responsibility because that tends to be an antidote to some of this how do i make them or how do i get them to is having those clear conversations so everybody knows what their responsibilities are and what freedom they have within those responsibilities so as an example i view it as as the parent it's my job to buy groceries and make sure we always have nutritious food in our house and a lot of nights i still end up cooking dinner that's my responsibility. Their responsibility is to be in touch with their body and know if they're hungry or not. And they're human beings with free will who are allowed to like and dislike foods. And that's great. But my responsibility is to provide the food. So unless they're cooking dinner, if I've cooked food, that's what there is for food. And within that, they have complete freedom to choose whether they eat that food or not. So if they're not hungry, I always encourage them, listen to your body. If you're truly not hungry, you never have to eat just because I cooked food. If you don't like the food, Okay, you're going to be in a lot of potential places in your life where there's going to be food you don't like. And you get to make the choice whether you eat it or you don't. I'm not going to force you to eat it, but that is what there is to eat. So you're not going to go eat something else because you don't like this food. And it is just that clear cut. So we're not battling about it. I'm not trying to coerce them into eating something they don't want to eat. Um, I think hunger is a great teacher, and I don't think any child's ever died from missing one meal. So if there's a food that like each of my kids has a, usually one food they don't like. And if that food is part of dinner, they can choose to not eat it if they want, or they can choose to try it. And then eventually the older ones have discovered those foods aren't so bad and they can actually eat them again. But it's just creating that up so that they're not emotionally dependent on me for their reactions to things and empowering them even at a young age, especially with my past trauma. That was important to me to empower them to be in touch with their own bodies 
and to feel like they have autonomy. I think often when we have like rebelliousness or anger or parenting issues with kids, it's because either they don't understand their role and what their freedoms and responsibilities are. So they're constantly pushing to try to find where is this container? Where are the boundaries? Like how free am I in this world? And so I told my kids from the beginning, like the reversal of the Spider-Man statement. It's not with great power comes responsibility. For my kids, it's with great responsibility comes great power. If you show me you're responsible, I have no need to ever restrict your freedom. Like prove to me that you're responsible and I'm happy to be your biggest supporter in being autonomous and free. For the older ones as teenagers now, that's often looks like if they want to do something that I think maybe is slightly above their maturity level, I will put the burden of proof on them and say, well, convince me, make a case, a well-thought-out case for why you think this is a good idea and how you're planning to handle this situation. And I will listen to you. My piece of this is I will listen to you with an open mind. And if you make a strong case for it, I'm happy to support your freedom. And so it creates this open dialogue where it's not that they feel like I'm restricting them. They get to keep the ownership of that. And that takes away a lot of those questions and the arguing that seems to often come along with the teenagers. Right. So it seems like what you've done is you've gotten rid of a lot of the like mundane or monotonous questions, tasks that you would have to take care of when you later found out that if these kids felt empowered enough or felt like it was meant for them for survival, they would end up being motivated to do it for themselves. And that became like routine and habit. And then from that, they were able to build off of that and create other habits and just start to stack those and into doing things like the laundry consistently and, and eating healthier foods making sure that they're getting their vegetables in and being responsible around the house. And it was a process, I'm sure. But I think once you get them to work that muscle of being on their own a little bit, they're like, wow, like this is cool. Like I felt great because I just achieved something. I did my own laundry. Like there's a lot of kids that I know that aren't doing this, or I'm eating my vegetables. And there's a lot of kids that aren't doing this. Like I'm actually being a productive member of my family. And that gives them autonomy and it gives them, I think, a up level of their in their self esteem too because of what they're achieving. I, I, and and with that said, I know you you wear a lot of hats, right? And despite delegating a lot of these tasks to the kids, your life still is incredibly insanely busy. Six kids, multiple businesses, a podcast that relies on you, a blog. So how do you prioritize things like in your life? Like how do you make sure that every single day you're being as efficient and productive as you can with so many things that rely on you. This was an interesting hard-learned lesson. I think five years ago, I would have had a different answer to this question that would have involved a lot of spreadsheet templates. <laughs> what I realized is, especially if if you're if a lot of people depend on you and you are the kind of like strategic driving force behind a business, behind a family, whatever it is, you have to protect your inner energy as well. Because if other people's energy depends on you, which it always does if you're a parent, protecting your own energy is one of the most impactful things and is key to being not stressed while being able to execute those things. I realized it wasn't the getting things done that was ever stressful. It was the thinking about having to get things done and having open loops. So partially it was solving for all of those, like I mentioned before, like getting rid of the open loops. And then it was also realizing if I put the things that I actually need to have energy is like, oh, those are my personal activities. They'll get scheduled after everything else happens. They'll never happen. So those things have to actually go on the schedule first. And I have to be unrelenting about things like self-care. Like you hear from all these super high achievers and billionaires that read for hours a day. And I used to always think, how can they do that? And then I realized 
that's their priority. They schedule that first and they're able to achieve in other areas because they're doing the things that charge them up first. So the time with kids, the family dinners, the self-care activities for me right now, fitness, those things go on the calendar first and work has to go get scheduled around that because I'm able to be so much more present in the work world when I have the energy from those activities. And I know that's a reversal of the way most people think of things. I also for a long time have every day done what I call my MITs, which are most important tasks. And I can specify at most three of them. And those are the three things that are most necessary to happen in the business world the next day. And so, because if it's only three things, I can get it done. And I'll often tackle that first thing. And usually I'll end up getting obviously a lot more done than just those three things. But defining those before I go to bed helps take those things off my mental plate. So I'm not worried about the next day in my head. And then I can hit the ground running the next morning and usually able to accomplish much more beyond that. But it sounds counterintuitive. I think years ago, the four-hour work week was pretty impactful for me. I wasn't able to apply a lot of that directly because you can't really four-hour work week parenting. But on the business side, it did help me ask better questions about how could I, how could this be more efficient? How can I automate the steps of this that I don't want to do and make sure that I'm very present for the steps that I do? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you hear people might say like, well, I'm being selfish if I'm putting myself first before my kids, or if I take care of my fitness when I should be playing with my kids, like they're going to think that I don't love them as much or whatever the case may be. And while I don't have kids, I guess what I know about the impact of taking care of yourself like if you're not on a hundred percent, like your kids will know it. Right. And if you're constantly like playing at like a 40, 50, 60% energy level, and you're not taking care of your health, like it's going to impact your kids. In my opinion, at least and that's just my opinion indirectly versus when you're taking the time and saying, okay, I'm directly going to take time away from my kids or my family and put that energy into myself and go exercise, meditate, journal, come up with some goals that I want to achieve that day, you're going to be, in my opinion, a a much better parent because you're going to be able to show up now better for yourself. And then I think your kids are going to notice that. Plus your kids, from what I've learned, it's like actions speak louder than words. So if they're seeing you take care of them, they're seeing you take care of yourself and working out and doing all the things, they're going to be more motivated to to do that too. But what I've heard a lot is you'll hear parents that they're so depleted that they barely have time to take a shower. They barely have time to go to the grocery store that it seems so intimidating to begin to start to carve out even more time in their day for other things that they feel that they don't have time for. So what were some of the first steps that you took or that you maybe would give to somebody who is in that situation where they're so burnt out, but they would be completely turned off to exercising every single day at this point? Well, that's a great question. And if they're in that space, having been there myself, it would probably actually not be a great idea to exercise every day. If you're in that stress cycle, your body might likely needs recovery more than exercise until you're able to get past that. I think you're also spot on what you said about the kids. They learn their behaviors and their inner voice from us and they model what we do, not what we say. So if what you model for them is like, oh, I'm going to spend all my time with you because I love you at the expense of myself. What they're going to pattern is, okay, well, when I become a parent, I have to give to everyone else constantly at the expense of myself until I get so burned out and then I'm stressed out and I'm not good for anyone in my life. And so I think it's really important. On the parenting side, I've also realized 
often some of this stress comes from expectation guilt, not from reality. I think modern society has told us this story that we should be like physically present with our children 24 hours a day in order to be good parents, or we should be directly involved and entertain them when they're little and everything. And that's not actually, for one, how previous generations have done this. My grandmother would have thought that was an absurd idea, but that's actually not even what the research is showing. The research is showing that kids need 10 to 20 minutes of actual focused presence with their parents a day to feel grounded and connected in their family life. They don't need 24 hours a day with a parent. I think what often happens, much like we're overfed and undernourished physically, is parents are giving and giving and giving and around their kids all the time when they're not in school, but they're not actually present with Mm -hmm. them when they're there. And so I would make the argument that 10 to 20 minutes of phone down, I'm now talking to you, we're having time, what do you want to do? This is our time together, goes a lot farther than, okay, I'm going to facilitate activities for you 24 hours a day so you never get bored. I think often for a lot of modern families, it's figuring out that plan of what is the goal, where are we going, and do these activities that we're doing serve that process? Because I know kids who are in 12 activities at age nine, like where are they going? What's their goal with life? Are those things actually serving them in that process, what can you simplify? Because again, often like the health analogy, it's often subtractive, not additive. What can we take away that's unnecessary versus what can we add mm. to like to pull the stress out of that process? And then on the logistical level, I think some of the more impactful 80-20 suggestions would be meal plan if you can, because that reduces trips to the store. And this is for anybody, not just people with kids. If you can meal plan and bulk prep once or twice a week, then you've eliminated that loop every day of what am I cooking or making or getting for dinner, the shopping time, anytime you can batch those things. So that's the thing I've done for years. I use a tool called Real Plans because it's so easy and it lets me specify any allergies, how many people are coming, and it spits out a shopping list. I can even send, now my older kids are capable of shopping. They can go shopping or or I can go, but it's one trip a week. And then I usually bulk prep on the weekend. So we have enough food to get through the week other than cooking a couple dinners. And that's been a huge time saver. And then the same thing is just clearly defining when things are going to happen. So you're not worried about laundry when it's not time to do laundry. You're not worried about when the house is going to get cleaned or errands are going to get run. The more we specify and provide systems, the less mental stress there is because the more we can take out of our brain to manage and onto paper, that takes away that mental load. Right, right. Yeah, it's such it's such great advice, and I think with parents now being like the Uber for their kids, they're being the entertainment for their kids, they're being the chef for their kids, and they're being the parent for their kids. They're wearing all these hats today with with everything going on in the world. I think planning can be is even more important now to saying, okay, like this is when I know my kids have sports. This is when I know that I'm going to be able to be present with each kid. This is when I know I have to work and yada yada yada. And and now like that's where the time blocks are and you try your best, it seems to not go out of those time blocks to do other things that aren't within that time frame, so that you can stay super productive, decrease your stress, keep your energy up and then be the best version of yourself and ultimately the best parent possible. And I want to dive into your line of work, which is wellness. And you've been on the forefront of this for, for a long time. There's a lot of people that admire you, that look up to you for your work. You have a massive community and you've been doing this for a while. So what have been, in you, what you've seen, what have been some of the common themes or common trends in the health and wellness space over the last decade or so that have lasted the test of time and that are beneficial for people? Absolutely. Yeah. I've written a lot about 
this over the years and then have gone back and updated as new research has come out. It's been really amazing to see the huge changes that are already happening within the health and wellness world and just the amount of mainstream awareness about things that were so obscure when I first started this. Part of my story of the reason I started actually publishing this stuff was when my oldest child was six weeks old, I read in a magazine that for the first time in two centuries, that generation of children would have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. Like we've seen that bell curve now shift. And for that to have happened in the amount of time that it did is really, really drastic. And when we look at the statistics of We know the rates of disease that adults are facing. Kids are now facing these things at almost equal rates, which is terrifying. So I started sharing research as I was learning, hoping to kind of try to reverse that trend. And when I started, it was like all the foods we can now get so easily in stores or delivered to our house didn't even exist. I think back in the day I was buying organic grass-fed meat from an Amish farmer in a parking lot. And it was kind of like on the black market because that wasn't really allowed. And we now have so much mainstream access to that, but I think it, the pendulum has actually like shifted a little bit. We now have so much information access that it can be very overwhelming. And so now actually the tougher part is to be discerning and to figure out the things that are actually going to work for you. And that's the part I say, I wish I could just give people a blueprint of exactly what I did and they could run with it. But I think the work of that is figuring out for ourselves. But like I mentioned before, I think there are some generalities. And I think it's like starting with the basics that most people now know of nutrition and avoiding the really bad stuff, hydrating, sleep, like we know those things are important. And then if you have a specific condition beyond that, then that's really like poking at that and delving into what are the specific things? Because there's now thousands of different things available and different supplements available. What are the specifics that can help with that? But even there, it's often more what can I take away versus what can I add? I feel like often we want to keep adding things and adding things and throwing things at the wall till something sticks. And in health and in wellness right now, I think like it's that personalization is the trend and I'm so happy to see that. And also the like kind of 80-20 MED type rule, minimum effective dose of what do I actually need to be doing? Because we could all spend our whole lives doing just health and wellness stuff at the expense of our actual lives. So what are the things that are the most impactful that I can focus on that are actually going to have the biggest tangible result? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're you're so spot on because I think health and wellness, as we've mentioned several times, is very personalized and you have to really do what works for you. But I do think there's some common themes. Like I think despite the polarities in a lot of these nutrition beliefs, I think most people can agree on the fundamentals of those plans, right? And along those same lines, I know like one of the things that has been a mission of yours as of late is like diving into like personal care products. Like what inspired that? And then now this is the a theme of your newest company that you've built. Like what is the main focus of that and how is it going to help the problem that you saw we were facing? Absolutely. So the wellness mama side has always been about education and teaching and that side still exists as it always has. I realized I talked so much about the nutrition side and what goes in our bodies. People are now well aware that what we eat affects us. People are starting to become aware of what we put on our bodies also really affects us because the majority of what goes onto our skin or in our mouth and oral care is absorbed into the bloodstream. And this is the reason we're seeing babies born with hundreds of chemicals in their cord blood already at day one of birth. This is why we're seeing an increase in cancers and diseases related to the buildup of these products in the body, there's now starting to be awareness about this. And I realized a few years ago that I had friends and family members who, despite being very aware and educated about health and eating organic and making sure they were getting sunlight and sleeping, they had all these things dialed in and they were still using 
certain regular toxic personal care products because they wanted their their body, their hair, their teeth to feel and look a certain way. They weren't willing to sacrifice how they looked just for the sake of it being safer and non-toxic. And so I realized there was a, a gap here and that that was the reason I had for years been creating those own products myself anyway, because there weren't great options available. And so we created personal care products that outperform the conventional alternatives, but that are completely safe and non-toxic and even to the point of being edible. If you ingested them, it wouldn't be harmful with the idea of how do we turn that principle on its head? So yes, everything, things that go on our skin get absorbed into our body. That's a pretty easy indicator that we should avoid putting harmful stuff on our body. But what if we could turn that on its head? What if we could put beneficial stuff into the products that we're using so that we're actually benefiting the body from the outside in as well as the inside out and build it up instead of take it take it down. And so I started by focusing on kind of the 80-20 rule again, which is a big uh, driver in my life, but where's 80% of chemical exposure coming from in a personal care routine? And it was hair care and oral care and the things that go on our skin. So we uh, innovated and created hair care products, toothpaste, and coming soon deodorant that basically our skin and hair food that nourish the body from the outside in and have now gotten those products to market during the last couple of years of COVID craziness and all of it. But it's been an amazing learning experience. And it's so exciting to be able to finally share these products with other families now. Amazing. And so the brand is called Wellness. Right? Wellness. Wellness with any on the end. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I think it's it's really important because I mean, I honestly had no clue about any of this until like the last couple of years, like how toxic a lot of these personal household products were until like I started either doing my own research or I had friends being like, Hey, like, why are you using this? And I'd be like, why, like, why, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? And they're like, do you have any idea like what's in it and how it can actually like impact your health over the long run? I, I honestly had no idea. So kudos to you for kind of taking this passion of yours and turning it into a business. What I like about your journey and what you do with your business is it seems like you've taken all these different struggles you've had into your life and turned it into a business that helps other people with the same struggles that you were facing. And it's kind of evolved through the years. So I think it's really admirable and inspirational that you've been able to do that. And I think people are going to really resonate with this conversation in so many ways based on how openly you shared about your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health. We talked about parenting. We talked about trauma. We talked about healing. We talked about wellness, we talked about it all. So where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about you, they want to listen to your podcast or buy your products and that sort of thing. Oh, thank you. You're an excellent host. You make the conversation so easy. I'm just Wellness Mama everywhere online. So the website is wellnessmama.com and you can find the products through that link as well. And then on social media, Wellness Mama across all of those. And the podcast is just the Wellness Mama podcast as well. Amazing. Well, I'll make sure to link your website in the show notes and y'all got to go give her a follow, check out her podcast, check out her content. She posts some amazing stuff. And what I'd like you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that, that Katie said about her journey with healing. Maybe it was something she said about parenting. Maybe it was something that she said towards the end of our conversation about wellness. Maybe it was something that she said about the trauma that she endured when she was younger and how she has used that as part of her story and used it for something good in her healing journey. Whatever it was, tag Katie, tag myself. We'd love to hear your feedback. We once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes. We'll see you next time.